This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here without my co-host, the lovely Patricia Kirkman, PK, tonight, because PK has come down with some type of jungle fungus. So she's sick and bad at home, and I have heard that there is a very bad bronchitis, pneumonia, some terrible thing going around, and unfortunately, it has landed right on top of PK. So she will not be with us tonight to offer us her wisdom on numerology. We'll catch up with her next week. And we have a great guest. I'm going to bring him on in a few minutes, Graham Phillips. He's one of our very favorite guests. I call him our very own Indiana Jones. And he's going to be here to talk about the Green Stone, which is a real-life Paranormal Adventure. It had me on the edge of my seat. It'll have you on the edge of your seat tonight, too. It's a great adventure. But first, I just want to remind everybody to make sure to go to our Facebook page, follow us there, follow us on Twitter. We have some really fun stories and scary stories on our Facebook page. So go take a look, and one of them you're going to love. You will love this, I guarantee it. It's all about Alien abduction insurance. This is not a joke. Uh, this is, I swear to God, this is the real thing. And this insurance is being provided by St. Lawrence Insurance Company of Altamont Springs, Florida. So they are selling alien abduction insurance policies to anyone who is worried about being kidnapped by extraterrestrials or is actually thinking about a trip on a flying saucer with aliens, of course. So here is what they say. Their policy not, is not so much about the money. It's about peace of mind. And <laughs> they're really selling this. A one-time price, very low, $19.95, gives you $10 million worth of coverage. It includes a digital copy of the policy. And if you're afraid that the aliens will destroy your computer or your cloud storage, $24.95 gets you a printed policy. So what do you get for 
You get medical coverage with outpatient psychiatric care that you may need if you have hostile aliens uh, take you up in their ship. And if you become married, impregnated, or eaten by the aliens, the coverage is doubled to $20 million. Now, I will point out they've been selling these policies since 1987, and they actually made good on two different claims. Now, in one, the man brought an alleged statement from someone at at MIT, well, that's right near here, stating that he had a chip implanted in him of non-earthly origin. And so they paid out on it. And in the other one, the policyholder brought a black Polaroid photo that he claimed was from the inside of the spaceship. So they paid on both these claims. So uh, maybe you want to, you know, if you're concerned about alien abduction, here you go. Now you can get your very own insurance policy. So again, the insurance company, I'm getting checks already. Who's selling this? St. Lawrence Insurance Company of Altamont Springs, Florida. There you have it. Now we had a very tragic event that happened a couple of towns over here in Massachusetts. I wanted to also share this with you because it's so strange. Now this is a time of year in New England that the bears start waking up and they're hungry. But what was reported in the news is that there was a large pony over its stall and killed. They are saying by a bear, but I got to tell you folks, this isn't adding up to me. It could be, but you're talking about an incredibly massive and powerful bear to be able to lift a large pony out of its stall. I mean, that's like, I can't even comprehend this, is that a bear is doing this. I have never heard of this before. I have heard of bear eating small animals like fawns, unfortunately, but I've never heard of this. This is a first. Now, I'm also wondering, and maybe you are too, was this really a bear or was it a cryptid? Was it a Tragon? As Dr. J has told us about Tragons, they're the worst of the worst. They get mistaken for Bigfoot, but they're not, and they're pretty vicious. Was it a Bigfoot? I mean, a Bigfoot could have easily lifted an animal that size. But why? It's all very concerning. People are being told, watch your pets. Make sure that they're protected. Keep them inside if you can because they really don't know what's happening. Now, the owners who lost their their beautiful pony, my heart goes out to you. And they also did say that they saw coyotes out there, unfortunately, feeding on their pet. And they did see a bear that came back or the, a bear that came into their area. But again, that's not so unusual. This is a time of year that bears wake up. But it is unusual to hear about this type of tragedy. Love to hear your thoughts on it. So send me some comments. Send me some text. Let me know what you think about this story. It's, it's again, very sad for the owners who lost their beloved pony. And it's very scary for the rest of us out here. Don't know much about how in the world this happened and exactly by what. So that is our paranormal story for the Hilltowns tonight. Now, also, we have another story I want to tell you about. But before I do, I just wanted to remind you to sign up for our newsletter, The Fringe Files, which you can do on the website, supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. And that way you can keep in touch with all of our latest news, our blogs, everything that we're doing. 
It's all good. It's a short newsletter. It just reminds you about the show and a few other nice things. Corby Mitlight provides a tarot card of the week, and it's very helpful information. So make sure you sign up for that. Now, I'm going before I go into this next piece of news, I'm going to introduce our illustrious guest. As I've said, I think of him as our very own Indiana Jones. He is a prolific writer. He's written a ton of books. I can't even remember all of them. There's so many. He's been on the show a number of times. We love talking to Graham. He is so knowledgeable. And I'll tell you what, if I were missing, I'd want this guy and the team to go find me because he can find everything. I mean, he's searched the world for historical artifacts, and he narrows it down. He finds where they are. And the Green Stone, this book that was re-released, it was first released 40 years ago, and now this beautiful edition of this book is available again. It is an incredible story. So it, this all started in 1979, and Graham's going to tell us all the great details. You can get your own copy of the book, The Green Stone, on Amazon. Highly recommend it. It is a page-turner. You will not be able to put it down. So, Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Patricia, once again. Yes. Well, we love having you on. I'm sorry PK can't enjoy your company tonight, but I am thrilled to be here with you and have you all to myself. So, I, as I mentioned to you off air, I came across a story. So before we go into the Green Stone, I wanted to ask your thoughts on this since you're from uh, across the pond. And this is a story about Princess Diana being under surveillance by the NSA. Now, in this article that's written by our friend Nick Redfern, he talks about the NSA keeping tabs on her and still refusing to release any files on this. They're keeping them highly classified. Now, some people are speculating and saying that they were more interested in who she was associating with rather than actually her, but it does speak to, again, a conspiracy around her death. And she was such a beautiful woman, cared for so many people, and really went through a tough time with the royal family and a lot of drama there, no kidding. But what are your thoughts on this about Diana and her death? Because there's still some suspicious things that happen that nobody's ever really solved. Well, I remember at the time that she died, I was actually up late in Britain watching CNN News, I think it was, when it was around about one or two in the morning. The first news came through that had been this motor accident in Paris uh, involving the princess. And um, I kept watching it throughout the whole night. So I was seeing it as it unfolded, the news at the time, uncensored. And I remember one of the first things that the witnesses at the tunnel were telling reporters was that they'd all seen this small white car going into the tunnel um, at the same time as uh, the princess's car. I can't remember now which way it was going, whether it was going in the same direction as she was or the opposite. I can't remember. But everybody was talking about this white car, lots of different witnesses. And um, throughout the night, they kept mentioning this. People went back to it. But then the next day when the story broke in the newspapers, there was was nothing about this white car. And it didn't appear in the news for considerable time afterwards. And then eventually some people started coming forward saying, well, what about this white car? No one's reporting on that. The 
French police said they're investigating it. The, everyone seems to be quite happy that uh, with the conclusion that uh, the driver of Princess's car had been drunk and it was a tragic accident. They'd been trying to get away from, from the, the press, trying to photograph them and they'd crashed and it was a terrible accident. But, and this white car was completely forgotten about. A lot of people started to bring this up. What about this white car? And eventually right. the French police claimed that they had found the driver of this car and there was no problem with it, but they never released any details. And that's one of the mysteries that I don't think has ever been really fully explained. You know, what was this white car? Why did, first of all, they say there was no white car and then later said, oh, there was one, but we've inter interviewed the guy and there's no, there's no connection. So, yeah, there are strange things around it. Absolutely. And you pointed out, I think, uh, Graham, one of the most important ones about that white car. I mean, there were other things as well that were uh, quite concerning that, as you mentioned, a lot of these questions never really got answered. They just got brushed aside. So it still remains a mystery. There are a lot of people I know that still believe that Princess Diana was murdered. This was no accident. And who knows, maybe someday it'll all come out. But you have been on a track involving so many mysteries, and you do get to the bottom of it. You do get to the truth. You are amazing. And the green stone is just one of them. Sorry, it is. So I am going to encourage all of our listeners tonight to put their feet up, you know, get that glass of wine or fresh squeezed juice, whatever it is you're doing, and just sit back and enjoy hearing this amazing adventure of finding the green stone. So, Graham, tell us how all this got started. It started in 1979 in a town called Wolverhampton, which is in the center of England. And I was in my early 20s then. And I was working for a magazine that investigated the paranormal. It was called Strange Phenomena. And the magazine had its offices in an old Victorian house on a leafy close in the suburbs of this big town city of Wolverhampton. But it was quite, quite close to the countryside really where we were. And the, the house was a huge, great rambling Victorian house. And right opposite was a park. So there was trees there. So you may as well have been in the countryside. It wasn't like being in a city at all. So we That's have lovely. this headquarters of the magazine and we investigated all sorts of different paranormal stories, everything from Bigfoot, UFOs, the sort of things that you investigate on this show. Yes. And right. one of the uh, stories that we were investigating um, was a girl from the west of Britain, from North Wales who had had a UFO encounter and um, a lot of people, there was a lot of witnesses to her UFO experience. And she was, um, uh, th there was other people who, who said that they also saw the light in the sky at the same time as she claimed to have witnessed this UFO. And she wasn't actually abducted, but she was very close to it. And we were investigating this uh, case and the mother of this girl um, said to us that she thought we 
there was something that we had to do. There was something the magazine really had to investigate, that it was, you know, our destiny to do this. And that was the first that anybody said to us something like this. So we just put it off as being, yeah, well, it's just, you know, her imagination or it's just, mm -hmm. you know, maybe she's just making it up. Um, that, but then she called and said that her daughter had said to her that during the time that she had had some kind of telepathic communication with these aliens, that the aliens had been telling her something like that they'd come to the Earth to help bring, help direct us through the atomic age and to prepare us for, uh, and, and for the future. And then suddenly, and amongst all this, apparently the telepathic message had said to this girl, you must contact Strange Phenomena magazine in Wolverhampton. And oh my God, it. how specific. So, <laughs> it's very wow. specific. So her mother had got in contact and said, well, my daughter has had this impression. Um, I, you know, I've got to tell you that we're supposed to contact you. And I said, well, to say what? And she said, well, I don't know. That's what we were told. So well, so we thought, okay, the magazine's on the sale. She's seen the magazine. She wants to get publicity for the, uh, the case. Or, and, um, you know, anyone could have got hold of our number and known about the magazine. Or girl could have read it, forgot about it. She could have dreamt. Who knows? And I we would have left it there, except what was happening down in London. There were a bunch of students um, in North London. And one night they decided to do the Ouija board. So they got out a Ouija board and started spelling out the letters and uh, a spirit, a ghost had come through apparently and had started spelling out the, you know, the typical, um, I am your aunt Grisilda and I have got a message for, and suddenly in the, in the middle of this message being spelt out on this Ouija board, it suddenly spelt out, contact Strange Phenomena magazine at Wolverhampton. Oh now, that's what they then, so somebody phones us up like the next day and says, we were doing this seance and the, the spirit, the Ouija board, told us to contact you. We said, really? Wow. Well, why? Incredible. We don't know. We just got to contact you. There's something that you must be, <laughs> you must get involved with. And I thought, I didn't take that call. But when somebody said this, I said, well, was that woman telling us an alien, daughter's alien, telling them to contact us? And now we've got some people doing a Ouija board who are being told to contact us and we've got something to do that's important. And we're being, you know, we're being had on here. There's some kind of joke going on. So we didn't take much notice. Yeah. But then there was other people. There was a spirit. There was a lady who went to a spiritualist church, another part of Britain. She was sitting there. The medium was on stage, typically going around the audience saying, I have a message for Jane. And, and then she suddenly said, does anybody here know Strange Phenomena magazine of Wolverhampton? <laughs> I, got the, I told one of the ladies in there what? to contact Strange Phenomena magazine. The spirit had told her to contact us at this number. And this carried on from people all over the country. They had aliens apparently telling people to contact us. We'd got, um, there was one guy in London, his family had been abducted and he had been put under hypnosis to try and remember what had happened. And he was saying, yes, the aliens are telling me that we must 
live in peace and contact straight for them on the magazine at Wolverhampton on the following number. And the people were, they were all getting in touch from all over the country, having these different kind of experiences. Somebody claimed to have seen a ghost that appeared over their bed and told them to phone the magazine. Oh, my and God. We, what you know, were you thinking when you got all these communications well, from we, people? Well, we thought it was a hoax. We thought that some rival magazine had set these people up to contact us to make us look stupid. So we thought, okay, go along with it. So we said to, if you, you know, we got in touch with them all and said, okay, you've got in contact with us. If you're serious, come here to the offices in Wolverhampton and we'll have a meeting. And they came. And there was <laughs> old people, young people, kids. Uh, and they were, they were literally, were looking at us saying, well, what's it all mean? Why are we here? And... We checked them out and we didn't do anything at first. We just listened to what they said, still thinking we were being wound up by somebody. And we kind of looked into it and they came from different places. There were from different backgrounds. They seemed to, uh, and we just couldn't see how this could be pulled off. Not back then. Now you could do it. There's the internet and there's social media. But back in 1979, there was no such thing as mobile phones. You had a telephone, and that was really expensive to use. Yeah, that was there a was big no deal. There was no way yeah. people could, could coordinate something like this. But we still thought, well, something's going on. It's probably a joke. Until eventually, I myself went off and started coming up with a message. So that's how it started. Wow. So they whatever was going on with wherever this was coming from, whomever this was coming from, you couldn't get away from it. They really wanted your attention. Yep, yep. So what we decided to do, now I had never been or considered myself psychic in any way. And one night at the offices, one evening, there was quite a few of us working from there. And a guy called Andy Collins, who's also since written a lot of books himself about the paranormal and other various mysteries, um, he was working for the magazine too. And he said, you know, let's, we were just doing some experiments in past life regression. And we'd been to see a couple of hypnotists and Andy had picked up a few tricks about how to do hypnosis. And he said, you know, let's try it out and see if we can do it here. And I kind of, volunteered to be the, the the guinea pig but i didn't think mm-hmm. he was going to get me to go off so to be quite honest we say in the book that he used a special meditational technique to get me off actually what that was was plying myself with vodka because i just <laughs> couldn't concentrate without getting what a, a great little bit meditation tipsy. technique <laughs> but i think i went a bit far with it because i was absolutely out of my face um, but he carried on doing it. And I don't remember anything. And then you, that's, there's nothing creepy about me not remembering. It was because I was drunk. But the thing <laughs> was that him and the few others there decided to sort of keep trying to hypnotize me. And he thought it would be a good idea to see if he could hypnotize somebody who was drunk. And we must remember that he was drunk too. So you've got a drunk hypnotist and a drunk subject. Oh my God, and what a combination. witnesses who were drunk. But it was all being recorded on tape. Now, all I know is that I kind of passed out and then suddenly I woke up and Andy was there and plus all these other characters standing around saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, what's going on? What's, what, 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 what? And looks staring at me. And I said, what is it? Apparently, I'd sort of gone off. And at first, I just started snoring because I'd fallen asleep. But then I started <laughs> whispering in this kind of, uh, in this 
uh, its quiet voice. And I won't give the whole details because it will take ages to explain it all. But basically what I started to say was that um, I had a message, whatever this whispering voice was that was coming through me, um, said that um, the strange phenomena team had to search for this green stone and that this green stone had once belonged to Mary Queen of Scots who had lived during the Tudor period in the uh, 1500s and she was uh, executed by the Queen of England for an attempt to um, overthrow her at least the Queen thought she was trying to overthrow her in uh, 1587 and when she had died she'd had this ring with a green stone in it which was said to have miraculous properties and it had been hidden shortly before she was executed and it had never been found and there were these series of clues that led to where it was and we had to follow these clues and find it and that's pretty much all I said and it apparently took me quite a long time to say all this because the voice was speaking very slowly mm -hmm. and um, when they they, I mean, first of all, I, when I came around, I thought, you know, they're just making this up. But when they played the tape recording of me speaking in this voice, I thought, well, I had no choice but to believe them. But then I thought, OK, the subconscious mind can do pretty strange things, especially when it's drunk. So I thought, <laughs> I'm just sort of, it's my own mind having to on. It's got to be. And oh, So you thought you were, your mind was just making up this strange tale. You didn't even believe it yourself. I didn't even believe it myself. I thought, you know, I was trying to find ways around this. And I said, well, you know, I'm being influenced by the fact that these other people had been coming up with these messages. And one of the things I'd said in this whispering trance state was that these people who had been brought to us, they were had to help us with this search. You know, they were the ones that were all going to get involved in it. And that's why they were doing it. And I think Andy was asking questions, well, how are all these different people getting these messages? Where are these messages coming from? I mean, they seem to be coming by UFOs and ghosts and spirit mediums and Ouija boards. And there was no answer to this. Anyway, I probably wasn't going to take it any further. But Andy went off to the local library. We couldn't check stuff on the Internet in those days. I had to literally go and read through books. And he said, right. you know, he came back to the office. He said, you know, it's, there is this story about Queen, uh, Mary Queen of Scots's ring. It was supposed to have supernatural powers. It was lost after she died. And there is a, a tradition that there are these, um, uh, these coded messages left in this old Elizabethan manor house that lead to where it is that nobody has managed to solve. I said, you are kidding me. He said, well, is there any way you could have known this? And I said, no. I mean, these days now, I've been researching historical mysteries for years, but I wasn't yes. into historical mysteries then. I was a journalist first, interested in the paranormal setting. The history side didn't even come in until after this time. So I said, That's well, incredible because you're, you're so good at all of this. I mean, the, the times that you've been on our show before, we've talked about how you have literally dug up the most amazing finds and so but back then that wasn't your thing so i can see where you would have been so skeptical of all of this when i started as a journalist i was a journalist for the bbc on bbc radio in england then i mm -hmm. was working for a news so then i met this magazine um just report i'd taken the job as a reporter it was just so happened to be about the paranormal it could have been about anything basically 
Um, yeah. But, I mean, I was interested in the paranormal. But history, no. I wasn't interested in that particularly at all, no more than anybody. And I certainly wouldn't have known about all this stuff. But I was still thinking, no, it, it, it can't be right, can it? So I... Um, the thing that finally convinced me that there was something weird going on was when the next day, we, we hadn't told anybody about my uh, thing about the green stone and where it was hidden or everything else. And one of the people that was working for our magazine, who was really quite skeptical uh, about the paranormal, which made him a good reporter, really, was a guy called Alan Beard. And Alan got in touch with us to say he didn't know anything about these people contacting us at all. He knew nothing. I think he might have known about that, but he had no idea about this green stone that I'd mentioned. And he uh -huh. suddenly contacted us and came into the office and said, I've just had this weird dream last night about a green stone oh that we've got God. to find. And he described seeing it and said that he had a voice telling him that we had to find this thing. And then somebody else who worked for our magazine, a guy called Terry Shotton, he got in touch and said, I've had this really strange dream that we've got to go and find some jewel stone or something like that. Oh my so goodness. suddenly, not only people from around the country that are getting in touch with us, it's actually ourselves within the magazine who are getting these impressions, dreams, and speaking spirit voices telling us to do it. So we decided that we ought to go in search of this. Yeah, how could you say no to all of this? I mean, they were it was coming from all sides now. Absolutely. <laughs> so the first thing that we decided to do was to go to this old Elizabethan manor house where these clues that reveal, trying to reveal where, you know, that were said to reveal where this stone was, were actually where these clues actually were. But before we did this, we tried on a number of occasions to get me to go back into a trance again. I literally had the special meditational technique done on me so much, I was violently sick. That's <gasps> the vodka. Um, uh -oh. we, we tried to get Terry oh, and no. Alan to have, to have dreams again, but that didn't seem to work. We asked the other people who had gotten in touch with us to, um, you know, go and try and pick Call up your aliens, do your Ouija board, get more information. Why have we got to right. this then? What is it? But nothing. So we were only nothing. led to the oh. possibility of looking to see if we could solve these clues. Yeah. Because now that you had, you couldn't ignore any of this, and you start going down the path, and then the information dries up. How frustrating. So... <laughs> The thing, this, with, with the, 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 the hat, with, again, we checked this out historically and we found it was so. There was this house called Harvington Hall, which is around about 20 miles south of where we were out in the countryside. And it's this rambling old um, Elizabethan house, 500 years old or something. And it is now open to the public. It was then open, which it is, open to the public. And it looks pretty much as it did do back in the... Um, the time of Shakespeare and so forth. And it was the, the, the people who had hidden uh, this stone, according to the story, the, the legend, this is not to do with what I'd said, but this is the, the actual historical legend, was that they had been followers of Mary Quinn of Scots because she had been a Catholic, 
And they were Catholics who wanted to see Queen Elizabeth overthrown, Elizabeth I overthrown, because she was a Protestant. And it was these Catholics who got hold of this stone in the end. And one of them, a man named Humphrey Packington, who lived at this Harvington Hall, was the one who actually hid it. Um, and the legend survived that he had left a series of clues there to reveal its whereabouts. Now, this Harvington Hall existed. We went there. From, what, from the books that we had read, which are a few years old, they didn't say that anybody had ever found or determined what these clues were. And people had thought there might be some of the stained glass windows in the place or, or pictures, paintings on the wall. Until not long, it was only shortly before we actually went there, there had been renovation to part of the building. And in an upstairs corridor, they'd torn down old oak panelling. And behind it, they found there was all these wall murals, these paintings on the plasterwork of the wall behind them that had been boarded up for 400 years. Oh, my God. Early 1600s. Uh, wow. Exactly the time that the clues were supposed to have been left by this man, Humphrey Packington. They dated from Humphrey Packington's time. I believe even his, his name is mentioned in them somewhere, you know, on writings underneath the pictures. And we went to see them, and they were quite faded, but you could still make out what they were. They were called the Nine Worthies uh, because they represented nine heroic characters from myth, legend, history, and from the Bible, there was characters like Samson, there was Knights Templars, there was these nine heroic characters from history. But the central figure, uh, because remember I said there was also myth and legend in there, the central figure on this wall mural was a youthful King Arthur wielding the sword Excalibur. And oh my. It was that picture that I thought when I first saw it and I think all of us that went there kind of had the impression that if there was anything involved in this story that was, in this painting that was going to be most relevant it would be this central image of King Arthur right and it was correct and there was, yeah. I keep stopping, so I'm kind of, kind of thinking you might want to do a commercial break at some point. I don't know when oh, you no. do that, so I'm kind you of know, giving you, I, I know. Giving I, you I, a hate to, I hate to stop for even a second because I literally am on the edge of my seat listening to your beautiful voice telling this incredible story. But I'll tell you what, we will take a break right now, and then we're going to come back and hear more about this. I mean, this story is amazing. It just goes on and on and gets more incredible and again, Graham, you are quite the Indiana Jones because you were just first and foremost in helping all of this come together. And the green stone, we're going to find out if you found it or not. So hang on, everybody. We're going to take a very, very short commercial break, and we will be right back. You're listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we're speaking with our guest, Graham Phillips, about the green stone. Pure essential oil specialized mineral, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridium's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. 
The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my incredible guest, Graham Phillips. And Graham, before we go back to the story, I just need to let everybody know that one of our sponsors is Astridian, and they make an incredible skincare line that I think is tremendous. It's very high in mineral content, and it is very, very good for your skin. Now, for our audience, if you decide that you want to buy Astridian products, which I do highly recommend, make sure you give them the code SUPERNATURAL. They'll give you 10% off, and they will also send you some free samples. So be sure to go to their website, astridian.love, L-O-V-E. 
Okay, Graham, here we are. We've got to get back to this incredible story. So can you pick it up where we left off? We are. My phone is blowing up. Well, did he find the stone? Did he find the stone? Look, you guys, you got to be patient and hear the rest of the story. It is incredible. Okay, so go on from there. So we're left looking at this pink painting, this mural on the wall, this kind of creepy upstairs passageway in this old Elizabethan house. And... <clears throat> We're drawn to this picture in the middle of King Arthur, a young King Arthur wielding Excalibur. And we kind of think that could be it. What totally got us um, convinced of this is that this guy, Alan Beard, who had had the first guy other than me to mention that we would be looking for a green stone, he had this dream about it. He, um, while we were there, we wanted to know if get the input of one or two of the others. So no mobile phones back then. It's 1979. And Andy goes to the local telephone box. That's the only way you could, you know, a phone booth outside. Right. Calls <laughs> back to the magazine headquarters where Alan Beard was and says, you know, telling others there about what we'd found, what do they think. I mean, these days you could just do the whole thing live through your camera, but uh, through your phone. But uh, no, not that then. It's all. So he describes it, and Alan said that he'd suddenly had this impression, this feeling, um, that we weren't looking for a stone initially, but a sword, which would then lead us to the stone. So he said, "Keep a sword in mind." And Andy went, "Oh my God! How, he doesn't even know about the sword we just found in this picture." You know, ah. Arthur wielding its scallop. Um, so we we thought, okay, fine. It's got to be, you know, that's confirmation. Cutting a very long story short, we finally worked out that there's got the Arthur figure is standing there, and behind him there's a hill, and on this hill in the painting, all his knights are gathered. So you got Arthur hill behind him, knights on the hill. So we thought if that could mean something, perhaps it refers to some local landmark. And we looked on a map of the area around Harpington Hall. And believe it or not, just a couple of miles away, we saw there was actually a hill called Knight's Hill. There had been oh knights God. on the hill behind Arthur. So we thought we'd investigate there. And we thought, well, is it going to be on the hill somewhere? Whereabouts is it? Directly below the hill was an old bridge that had been there in, in Elizabethan times, an old, uh, pretty much overgrown bridge beside this lake and a little river going underneath it, feeding this lake. Mm -hmm. And this bridge was called Arthur's Bridge. Oh, my so God. So you've got Arthur's Bridge. We went to the place where the, the, the hill, the, the pool at the bottom, this lake is called Knight's Pool, right behind it, Knight's Hill. So we went to the bridge overlooking Knight's Pool, Arthur's Bridge. And if you stood on it looking towards the pool, you would be in the same position as the Arthur figure is with the hill behind him. So in other words, if you become like the Arthur figure and you stand on the bridge, you've got the hill behind you, Knight's Hill, as the figure Arthur has got the knights on the hill behind him in the painting, he's looking down and to his left. And we think if we look down and to our left, what are we looking at? 
the foundation stones of the bridge overlooking the lake to the left-hand side of the bridge as you're standing overlooking the lake. It took some time to work out maybe if there is something in the foundation stones behind which one. And because the pink paintings were called the nine worthies, nine was a significant number. So we eventually worked out nine across, nine down, because if we went nine down and nine across, it wouldn't work because you'd end up in the mud at the side of the banks. So mm -hmm. you had to go nine across, nine down. And the, 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 the big stones that made up the foundations of the bridge were all overgrown with ivy and brambles and everything. And you had to clamber down and literally be standing in the mud by the lake to actually get to where these stones were. And eventually we managed to remove the ninth stone across and down. And astonishingly, behind it, there was a sword. Oh, my God. Um, now, it was did you all almost faint? That's incredible, uh, my God. Well, actually, when we, when we finally found it, it was night by this time. And so we were doing all this by torchlight. Because it had been taken like, ages to wow. figure all this stuff out. And to be standing in the sort of this lake in the middle of nowhere in the dark, all surrounded by trees and the occasional hooting of owls and stuff and the strange sound of water birds being disturbed on the lake. And um, you, you pull this stone out, you shine the torch, the flashlight, as you call them in America, shine the flashlight into the, 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 where the stone had been. There was this recess behind it. And on it was this short short sword or long dagger about 18 inches long um, with a, a stunted cross guard um, and it, it was heavily encrusted with years of silt and sediment but you could tell that it was the shape of a sword and I was completely speechless I, I think that uh, my friend Andy almost fell back into the water we were so <laughs> kind of all, what 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 um, I know, it's like so nobody anyway, really expected to find it, but you did. We didn't. I didn't expect to find anything there. I thought we were on a, an interesting wild goose chase, and I thought if we did... But the fact is, not only... It's amazing enough that we'd, we'd actually seem to have solved clues that have remained unsolved for like almost 400 years. Right. And the fact that... It had also been psychic impressions that had led us to even start on this search. People from all over the country, my own, you know, my own trance voice as well. And yeah. Alan Beard had said we were looking for a sword. There was, there was no way that this was anybody having us on. There was no way we could have been the subject of a hoax by a rival magazine or something. I mean, it, you know, it was way beyond that now. And we thought, well, if this sword's there, then... Surely the green stone must exist too. First of all, what we did is have the sword taken to a museum and they, uh, the thing was cleaned up and it was found to be um, a steel sword, uh, one piece sort of, a one piece cast steel long dagger or sword. It was actually, we discovered, called a dirk, which was a ceremonial short sword that naval officers of the time would wear but people also used to have them for uh, ceremonial purposes um uh, you know during um 
testables and this sort of thing. But this one had on the cross guard, and this was the most astonishing thing, it had upon the cross guard the coat of arms of no other than Mary, Queen of Scots. And remember, oh we were God. told stone had belonged to Mary, Queen of Scots. And the museum right. said, well, it looks like this sword was made for or either for Mary, Queen of Scots or for somebody who was in the entourage of Mary, Queen of Scots in the late 1500s, early mid to late 1500s. So, wow. I mean, that was a pretty amazing discovery. It was totally amazing. Well, that's the other thing. At this point, I have to ask you, Graham, at this point, when you find the sword, when it's verified by a museum that it did belong to Mary, Queen of Scots, or someone in her entourage, did you begin to start to piece this together and say, you know what, this, all of this is tremendously important? Well, yes. Something was trying to get us to follow this trail of clues. Whatever it was, yeah, they were, just it, weren't going to let you not be... follow it. You know, they weren't it, not going to let you follow it. It's powerful. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't just your ordinary spirit or ghost of no. the past. It was like it was taking the form of aliens, things through Ouija boards. But it was like some kind of, I don't know, some sort of entity which could basically take on any guise it wanted to or at least pretend to be anything it wanted to be it was able to channel through to people through different ways dreams uh, uh, trances Ouija boards abduction experiences hypnosis um, even in the form of ghosts that appeared to people so I mean I'd never heard of anything like this before I'd certainly I'd never even heard of anybody finding buried treasure before by solving clues using psychic messages. Never. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't when, happen. When the book eventually came out and the, the publicity was generated around it, um, this kind of psychic find buried treasure first time ever kind of thing. I mean, now, yeah. I mean, since then, you've had stories like the, the Da Vinci Code and everybody's known about Indiana Jones and all this kind of stuff. So the idea of people searching for buried treasure with psychic messages and all this sort of stuff is, 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 is pretty sort of common these days in the, in, the, in the public imagination because it's portrayed that way in films and on the TV. But this is going back to 79. It, it just wasn't known about. I mean, this just never happened before. Um, and it has. So anyway, I mean, the other thing is that before you go on, I mean, the thing that uh, that I'm really caught with here is that all of these clues and this kind of group energy that was pushing you forward and wouldn't let go of you. I mean, this all led to very tangible results. That's unusual. Well, the, the most astonishing thing, I think, about the sword itself is that one of the things we were told, I can't even remember now if it was my whispering voice that came up with its name or Alan Beard's dream or whoever it was, but somebody had said that the stone was called the Meania stone. I think we found mm-hmm. something written about it somewhere. The word Meania, actually, uh, we, didn't, we didn't know this for years afterwards, but it refers to a... Uh, a kingdom in part of what was once part of the ancient Greek world, where there was a queen called Omphale, uh, who was supposed to have existed around the same time as the uh, Trojan War. 
in which this Queen Amphalae made certain magic stones, and uh-huh. these stones had the power had the power to do different things. One could heal, one could um, summon demons, one could protect you, and so on. One could allow you to astrally project. She is the person who is said to have made the the stone, which is the uh, where the oracle at Delphi used to sit, the Delphi Oracle, oh, which is in front okay. of this. It's known as the Omphala Stone. You can still see it on display in Greece today. She is accredited with making this. So this Omphala, this mythical queen of ancient Meonia, made these Meonia stones back in sort of 1000 BC or something, according to Greek legend. That is why the stone seemingly was the Meonia Stone, or at least a Meonia Stone. So this is what it Mm -hmm. seems to have been supposedly one of these magic stones made by this ancient uh, Greek um, priestess queen. Now, okay, so the stone was called the Meonia Stone. We've been told that before we went to the, the bridge and took out and found the sword. When, we, when the sword was cleaned up, on the hilt was, as I say, the, 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 the insignia of Mary Queen of Scots, but written along the blade, inscribed along the blade, with the words Meonia for Mary. <gasps> so we knew that this was associated with the Meonia stone. There could be no doubt, there was no saying that this is just people just shoved old swords and bridges in those days and we just so happened to have come across one. No, it was definitely associated with the search for this green stone. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, this is unbelievable. I love it. I mean, I know our audience is loving this. This is a, a, such an amazing story. Oh, my. Keep going. <laughs> okay. The next thing we do is, okay, so how do we find the stone? Again, I'm cutting a very long story short. If you read the book, you'll see there's lots more stuff in it than this going on. But I've got to try and make this fairly succinct to get it finished by the end of your program. Um, <laughs> right. well, what happened? What happened is that this, girl who's, uh, who'd had this UFO experience, uh, whose mother was one of the first people to get in touch with us. Um, she, and we took a lot of people to back to the bridge where the sword was found. And um, she held it on the bridge. She said, can I just hold it? And she said, yeah. And she suddenly said, I've, she held it and she kind of used it almost like a divining rod, I suppose. She pointed in a certain direction and she said, we've got to go over there. And um, we went off in that direction and cutting a long story short, we never actually found anything on that day. But that night when she went to sleep, she had a dream and she dreamt that she saw a swan flying and around the swan's neck was a, um, uh, was tied with a leather, um, leather thong. There was tied this pouch. That was what she saw in the dream, a swan with something tied around its neck. And she just, came down that night to her mom, uh, to her mother and father and brothers and sisters who were downstairs. Because she was, I mean, she was only 12 at the time. That's why she'd gone to bed early. She came down and she said to her mom, she said, the, the stone that the, these lads are looking for, she said, all I know is it's around the swan's neck. Now, her dad um, was in the, the house and he was with uh, her mom. And they were looking through this map of the whole area around um, uh, the bridge where we'd found the sword. 
And the moment Gaynor said, well, that was her name, Gaynor, the moment she said this about the, the sword, the, 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 the stone being around the swan's Fine. neck, mm-hmm. her dad suddenly pointed to the map and said, oh, my God, um, there's a place here called the swan's neck. And it turned ah. out to be just a couple of miles away from the bridge where we'd found the sword, where she had stood and pointed in that general direction and said, I think it's somewhere over there, you've got to go. And um, there it was, there was a place, what it was was a river called the River Avon. And in this river was a large meander. And this meander, this loop in the river was called the Swan's Neck, Fine. presumably Neck. because it kind of ah. resembled and oh God. again, a long story short, we went to this, beside the this swan's neck, the loop in the river. Um, oh, by the way, this girl's mother also had a dream that the, what she saw an avenue of trees beside a river. And she knew at the end of this avenue of poplar trees, I think she saw, uh, was a mound. And in that mound, we'd find the stone. Well, when we got to the swan's neck, there was an avenue of trees, just like she described and there was a mound at the end of it. And we dug into this mound and a few feet down, the spade hit something metal, dug it up. It turned out to be a brass casket about, um, I don't know, 12 inches long, eight inches wide, eight inches deep, a heavy brass casket. And it was completely silted up and everything. It had to be cleaned up. When it was opened inside, we found a small green stone. Oh, my God. Incredible. This, Why is this not a feature-length motion picture? I mean, what a great movie this would make. And it's all true. This is amazing. Well, this story has been basically out of I mean, it, it was publicized when it happened in 1979. But back then, there wasn't, you know, all the TV stations and movies. They didn't make movies about things like this back then. It was just, you know, horror films about Dracula or whatever. And, um, and monsters. I mean, people didn't make real-life supernatural dramas back then. This is before you would even got things like the Amateurville horror wasn't even out at this point. So yeah, nobody right. did sort of supernatural dramas. And since then, the book's been out of print. And it's only now, after 40 years, that we've, because of the anniversary, we thought, well, let's republish the thing and see what happens. So it's only now that people are going to get to know about it. Well, we yeah, I mean, this, I... There, People would love to see this on the big screen or or even on television. I mean, this is such a great story. And I know from reading the book exactly what you're talking about. There is so much more to this. I mean, you're giving us the the abbreviated version so we can hear the high points during the show. But, again, I want to encourage everybody to get this book because there is so much more to this story. It is all of it's mind-boggling. So, okay, don't mean to interrupt. Keep going. So you find the green stone in this little casket. And then what? I was going to say that if anybody, I mean, if people would say, oh, you're just making all this up. It didn't really happen. If you went to my website, which is grahamphillips.net, on the first page, um, there's all the covers of my books. All you have to do is click on one of those books, and you will then get a good few pages coming up of what each book's about. If you click on the image of the Greenstone cover on the front page of my website, It'll then take you to another page, which gives a brief outline of what's going on. On there, there are three movies that we made, one of them recently when we went back to where these sites were and we're discussing it. But one of those is the actual homemade um, 
video that we did back in the early seven, uh, the early 80s, you know, back 40 years ago almost, just after these things happened, with interviews with the people involved. And you can see, when you look at these people, they're just ordinary, everyday men in suits, middle-aged housewives, young girls, you know, it's d d ordinary, everyday people. You could say, well, there's no way these guys are going to be making up some crazy. They're not all bikers or something. Oh, not that there's anything wrong with bikers, but you might imagine sort of hell's angels to get involved in this stuff. These were all <laughs> the people whose jobs were um, safety officers. One of them was a policeman, um, uh, a chef. Um, and, you know, it's just weird. And so if you actually go and look at those people who are telling the story about how this sword was found in the stone and, and uh, giving their... But there's interviews with... Alan Beard, the one who had the vision, a lot of the visions and some of the most important ones, dreams. Gaynor, the little girl who had this, um, who, 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 who dreamt about the swan's neck. Um, her mother uh, and others, they're all there uh, being interviewed back as they were in Yeah, I um, highly recommend people go, go to your website, uh, grahamphillips.net, and watch them. I watched them, and they were also very fascinating and you see exactly what you're talking about these are very everyday people that got caught up or were being used in this effort to find the stone which you did but the story does not end there does it absolutely not we'd ended up with this stone it was we, we took it to the museum they said it's just made of simple jade it's a jade green stone it's about, I don't know, three quarters of an inch long, half an inch wide, half an inch deep, rounded, but flat on the bottom, just as it would be if it was set in a ring. Unfortunately, the museum couldn't date it. You couldn't date a stone. Date. You can only date yeah. something which is um, organic matter by um, carbon dating. They were able to date the casket basically based on its design and so forth to dating from the 1500s. So it certainly came from the right period as did the sword. Um, but the stone itself, they couldn't tell how old it was, only of what it was made from. So you've got an ordinary grade state jade stone. So we thought, well, we've got this thing. Why were we supposed to have found it? Now, at first, nothing happened. But when we took it back to the magazine offices in Wolverhampton, strange things began to occur. The first thing that happened was that one evening about five o'clock. This was all happening during the winter months, so it's getting dark early. And around about five o'clock in the afternoon when it started to get dark, suddenly the front office filled with this, started to fill with this, this weird kind of incense smelling smoke. And it mm. filled the front room. We'd, suddenly we thought, oh my God, there's a fire somewhere. So we started checking around. We went out into the corridor, which led to other rooms. And they were all filling with smoke. The corridor, the whole place was filling with smoke. All oh, my. You know, if there had been a door closed in between, the, the other rooms were filling with smoke too. And we thought, wow, there's a fire. There's a, just before we called the fire brigade, we were trying to check to see where the fire might have been. Suddenly the smoke started dissipating and it disappeared almost as quickly as it had come. It had stayed there for about five minutes or so and then just dissipated. And we thought, what on earth? We checked everything. We couldn't see what had caused it. So we decided to call out the, um, the electricity company to check the wiring, and they came. They could find nothing wrong. But the next night, 
five o'clock came, we kind of didn't think anything. We suddenly noticed it started to occur again, just as it was getting dark. Two oh days on the trot. Again. Thing happened. It the whole place. And it happened so often that we were getting dozens and dozens of witnesses to come and see this. It, the story broke in the local paper. People said, oh, you're just trying to get publicity for the magazine. So, well, you come here and try and explain it then. And it got so much right. publicity that they... It, the BBC TV news cameras turned up and actually filmed oh. it. So there's somewhere the BBC that stopped <laughs> of the actual smoke appearing in there. All these journalists saying, well, we can't explain it. And this went on for about a week. And then after that, it, the smoke stopped. But then other things happened. We, we went out. One day we came back to the magazine headquarters uh, about nine at night. We, some of us used to sleep over there. Um, if we, if we were, you know, deadline of the magazine was coming up. So we, were, we came back. We'd just been to the pub around the corner. We came back, and the front door was wide open. And we went inside, and we found there was all this blue gunge had been sort of, like, somebody had come in and thrown, like, balls of blue sticky stuff all over the walls. And oh we thought at first this was just vandalism. But when we got into the house, suddenly, as we just went in, the whole place started filling with smoke again. Now, this was about 9 or 10 at night. And not only did that happen, but all the lights began to blow. Not all at once, as if the fuse had gone, but one after another, until the whole place was plunged into darkness. Well, the next day, uh, we phoned the police because it looked like there'd been a break-in. We realised that something weird was really going on, but we, we reported the break into the police they came in we wanted to know what this gunge was was somebody throwing poison around in there they took it away and they they literally they couldn't come up with any explanation as to what this stuff was i mean it doesn't mean to say defied all knowledge it's just that their facilities at the police station weren't enough and because it wasn't a serious crime they weren't going to send it off to scotland yard or something um, to get in so that that just remained a mystery they didn't know what it was so that was weird. Then yes, very. over the next few days, there was these strange electrical anomalies kept happening. People got shocks off things like the, the fridge or the cooker and, um, uh, and things like that. And like the front doorbell just kept ringing on its own. And when you went there, there was nobody there. Um, sometimes the smoke would appear, sometimes not. But then it kind of upped a notch because we started to get poltergeist phenomena then. Things started being thrown around. One of the people working in the front office was there, when uh, standing in the office, when suddenly a speaker from a stereo system that was on a shelf on the side lifted up in the air as he was watching it and just crashed onto the ground. I was walking down the corridor in the middle of the offices that led to the various rooms when a heavy box of magazines that was behind me suddenly flew over my shoulder and crashed into the door at the other end. There was nobody else in the corridor. Um, God. We started hearing noises, uh, especially at night time, because we had to work there at night to get the magazine ready on time. And um, there was, like, breathing sounds. I remember on one occasion, about four of us were in there, and we suddenly heard this kind of... It sounded almost as if somebody was going to go in... <laughs> That's about the best I can describe it. But we couldn't tell oh. where it was coming from, somewhere in the place. 
Um, that happened. Half the staff weren't turning up because they were getting frightened to death and wouldn't. People <laughs> would, you know, quite a lot of the people weren't coming into the office. Uh, you can't blame them. <laughs> they were being witnessed, yeah. not only by the people who worked now, there, where but was, by this. Where, where exactly so, was the stone the, during all The stone during all of this. You know, strangely, nobody thought it had anything to do with the stone at first. The stone was right in the middle of the front office um, on a table uh, that was being used for, uh, I don't know, where the phones went and stuff like that, and the photocopier. It was just literally on the table in its, in its brass casket thing, just still there. We just left it there. We didn't know what to do with it at this point. We were trying to find out who the land it was on, but it turned out to be common land, so we didn't know quite what to do with this. The sword itself, we'd had words with the people who owned the property, and they said basically we could hang on to it. Um, but we didn't know what to do with this stone, so it was just left there. Nobody can. We we were still really intrigued to know what all that was about, but because we it was coming up to the deadline for the put the magazine together, everyone was working flat out on that, and we thought, well, we'll come back to investigating what this stone might be later. So at this point, nobody was associating it. With. I, th I think because we, we thought that in the magazine headquarters, we were getting people to come there who were doing, we were, for, you know, for experiments, if you like, in the paranormal, we were getting people to do seances and Ouija boards that had nothing to do with the green stone thing. So we just thought, oh, we've conjured some weird thing up here by having all these psychic types coming here and, 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 and getting up to whatever they were doing. Nobody associated. So nobody made the connection the, at first. Not not mm -hmm. at first. I think the, what happened in the end was the, the, the crescendo of all this was we were because we were a magazine that was investigating the paranormal. We wanted to try and you know photograph some of this stuff, um, try and get it all done. You know, do uh, tape record any weird sounds and so forth. And those of us that were still prepared to stay over at night, there was, I think it was four of us, we decided to bring our sleeping bags and sleep in this front office. And we went to sleep. And then, oh, by this time, all the, the electricity, electrical anomalies were got to such a, an extreme that we kept calling the electrical, electric company in and they'd check in the wire and they said there's nothing wrong. Then we suddenly received <laughs> yeah. this electricity bill for something like £4,000. That's like $7,000. Electricity huh? bill back 40 years ago. That would be like $30,000 now. We said, yeah. what? This is ridiculous. They said, well, you must be running the whole street off your electrical meter. And because we wouldn't pay this, and because they said, oh, the wiring must be dangerous, they cut us off. Oh. So we were now suddenly... We couldn't do the magazine from there anymore because the power was off. So right. we stayed in the front room of the magazine to try and work out what all this weird stuff was by kind of like holding a seance and whatever. And nothing happened when we did that. We tried to contact the thing on a Ouija board. We had mediums come in. That didn't work. So the four of us were sleeping over in the dark. And all we had was candles that we put around the room. We spent the sleep on the sleeping bag. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and seeing Andy Collins with flames leaping from his sleeping bag. 
and he was frantically trying to put them out. It literally was like one of these things you see in a movie with, you know, the, the person comes running out of a fire with flames all over them. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, my oh, no. God, he's getting barbecued. <laughs> Somehow, I God knows how, he managed to get out of his sleeping bag and he had no burns on him. He had no burns on his clothes or anything, yet his sleeping bag was literally burnt to a crisp. And in now, fact, if I you go onto you, my website... Was that a blue flame? Do you remember? Oh, God knows. I can't remember. Um, I'll ask him. He'll know. He's, he was yeah, maybe him. he'll remember. Because usually when it's a I paranormal can't... fire like that, it's a blue flame. That's why I'm asking. I, I can't. Seriously, I can't remember what color it was. Yeah, it was I'll, probably so know. shocking. Yeah, but yeah, let me know. But there's actually, if, if we're on my website, when you go to the page about the green stone, I've got there the front cover of the local newspaper that covered this story after after it happened, and there's a picture of him there holding his burnt sleeping bag. Yeah, the day it was after. Yes, I saw the photo. It was totally burned up. <laughs> oh God, poor he, guy. And miraculously, wasn't well. We couldn't figure out how. It, it seemed like one of the candles had, had, had set it alight, but. It had jumped from way over the other side of the room. So, anyway, I mean, the fire may have been... But I don't think... These sleeping bags were supposed to be fireproof. And we tried it out with the part of burnt remains that wasn't still wasn't burnt. And we put a, put a cigarette lighter to it. It wouldn't go up. It wouldn't burn. It just sort of kind of went fizzly. It didn't do that at all. So one candle... If a candle came flying across the room for any reason... It would have gone out, and it certainly it would. It, it wouldn't have set it alight like that. But if, what was really funny was when he was interviewed about this. I remember on the radio once somebody said to him, "What happened?" He said, "You know, what did you think when you woke up?" He says, I, "Well, I, I, I woke up and I saw these flames leaping from the supermarket." And I said, "What did you do?" And he said, "Well, I went back to sleep because I thought it was a dream." Oh. <laughs> And I think he then suddenly thought, God, it's getting hot. And he realized he was awake. But at this point, we thought, no, something's got us, you know, there's something wrong here. And it was at this point when Andy spoke to, I think, I don't know who initiated this call, but this girl's mother contacted us, Marion, her name was. She phoned, she contacted us to say that she felt that we were in some kind of danger uh, or whether we told her about this, I don't know. But she said that she was convinced that it was the it was the stone that was causing this, and mm-hmm. none of us had put the connection together. So we took the stone away and put it in somebody else's house, and everything stopped. But it started up in their house. This was oh, lucky Perry. them. <laughs> but there's, I mean, there's a whole separate book we wrote about the weird things that happened in Terry Shotton's house um, when when he had the stone there. There's a, a second book called The Eye of Fire, which is basically um, a terrifying story of the paranormal that happened when the stone was put in his house. But that isn't mentioned in the Greenstone book because at that point, he didn't want that bit spoken about. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it went into his house. All sorts of weird stuff happened there. So we knew it had to be connected with the stone. So we thought, we can't just keep moving this stone around from place to place. It's having people's houses haunted. So we... Um, Kate, uh, Marion came up with this idea. She said that she thought, I don't know where she got this from, a dream I can't remember now. It's all in the book somewhere. Um, as I say, I haven't told this story for 40 years. 
Um, But somehow she got the impression that we should take the stone to consecrated ground and not far away from where the magazine offices were in Wolverhampton, just outside. There was this old ruined uh, monastic building called White Ladies Priory. It was like a thousand year old ruined building that you could just get just a bit of a field and go there. And she said, we should take it to this white lady's priory. That would be, give us protection. And she said, just outside the priory, there's the priory with walls around it, but no roof. And this archway where you could see through from the inside of the priory to the grass around it. And then there's this small copse of trees. And she said that we had to put the stone in this small copse of trees on this mound that was there so that we went near it. So we then had to go back inside the, uh, the, the inside the walls of this priory to be protected by its uh, consecrated ground, according to Marion. And when we went there, we had to um, read out these, uh, I don't know, banishment things that she'd found. I don't know where she'd got them from, some book she'd found or something. Anyway, we had to say these mm-hmm. words. I can't remember what they were now. And I think there was nine of us there, and uh, two of the people there had never even seen any paranormal stuff before. One of them was the head of the uh, local parks department, who just who happened to be a friend of Terry Shotton. Uh, another of them was a, uh, was a local councillor, so in other words, a local politician who really didn't stand to gain anything from claiming to have weird experiences, who happened to be a friend of somebody else. There's nine of us there. We basically stood in the centre of this priory, said all these words, or Marion said all these words, and I didn't think anything would happen. I mean, I thought, fair enough. Um, you know, and I thought, okay, maybe it will stop the stone doing weird stuff. But uh, she thought it would discharge the awesome power of the stone and we'd be safe afterwards, or at least whatever the stone was wouldn't be haunted. And I thought, okay, we've done this thing. Let's take it back and see if it, you know, see if anything happens now. But just as I think we were ready to leave, it was dark. We had to do this for some reason at night. Why everything has to be done at night, I have no <laughs> idea. So um, and we finished these words off. And I think we used the sword for something, but I can't remember. I think we had to hold the sword or we had to make some weird shape thing and put the sword in it. I can't remember. It's all in the book anyway. But anyway, we did this ritual, and just as it finished, there was this like weird sort of noise, like a sort of I don't know, like a, a, a like a bird of some kind, um, not like a crow or an eagle, I don't know, but it was kind of arr, 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 noise that was over this copse, this wood where we'd left the stone on this mound, and this sound of this weird screeching bird came out from the copse right over where we were. And remember, there's no roof on this ruined priory. And it seemed to circle around above us. And remember, one of the guys there was head of the parks department. He was an expert on local wildlife. And he said that I have never heard any animals in the, in, in the, in the natural world make sounds like that. Certainly no birds that come from England. And there was this sound. We're all sort of looking up. We couldn't see anything, but it was ar, ar. And then it, this crowing, whatever you want to call it, noise, seemed to go back towards where the wood was. And then 
there was this ball of light that suddenly started to shine inside the inside the trees. It was as if it started off as a small point of light and grew out to be, I don't know, maybe six feet across, like a white ball of light in the middle That's of huge. the trees. Right where the stone was. And we're, we're just gobsmacked staring at this thing. And it rose into the air and there was a couple of other white lights next to it, if I remember rightly, rose into the air and suddenly went and it exploded, not like a firework. It wasn't anything like that. It was just like a massive flash that kind of was like lightning, but lasted for, I don't know, a few seconds. It was so bright. It was like daylight. We could see each other's faces. We could see everything. And then suddenly it just kind of went and vanished. And everything was dead silent and quiet. No birds, no nothing. And we all just stood there. And then somebody said, run. So we just fled. And it wasn't until the next morning we went back to find if the stone was still there. And it was. And then we took Thank the stone. And put it back in the Wherever we put it after that, nothing ever happened again. So that's pretty much the story. I mean, we never found out what that stone, how it had that power. Unfortunately, in the end, um, the people that were involved in the story all went their separate ways. The person who ended up having the stone... Um, for a, for a while, sold it to somebody who sold it to somebody else. Those people have since um, passed. So, you know, they were quite a lot older than me, and so they passed of natural causes. So nobody knows where the stone actually is anymore. I've heard it said that somebody in America eventually bought it, but I certainly know that for a good few years after those events, uh, when one of us had the stone, um, nothing ever ever happened again. Why we were led to find it, what it was all about, with no idea. And some people said mystery. at the time, it's still a big mystery. People said at the time, oh, well, you were just doing all this to sell magazines. No, we weren't. Uh, the fact was that the mag, out the, the, it was happening at at the same time as we were bringing out the magazine, but. By the time we actually told anybody else about the full story and wanted to get a book published, the magazine was had finished. The, the magazine closed down for a whole host of other reasons, but the magazine had finished at least a year or so before the, the book came out. It didn't help with the sale of the magazine. Um, no. The book did okay. People could say, well, you just did it all and made it up. Well, if we did, there was dozens and dozens and dozens of witnesses and all the places that we followed these series of groups, they're still there. The Victorian mansion's still there. The pictures on the wall, the place where the sort of... Anyone can trace it all up. And that is that. Yeah, it's... My gosh, I... I... This is an amazing experience that you've had. And, again, you had mentioned earlier, let's go back to the Order of Meonia, and that there were different stones charged with different powers. Now, we know that Mary, Queen of Scots, did not have the protection stone, right, because she was executed. So she did not have that one. So she must have had one of the other ones, whatever it might have been. And have you thought about the power of that stone? I mean, it seemed like it was something that could bring things in from other realities. You had the smoke, you had fire. I mean, there, 
it could have been one of the other powerful stones that was charged. But then it's interesting because so much energy was on you and your group to find this darn thing. So there must have been a reason for finding it and discharging it. Marion was the one who determined how to accomplish that. And apparently that was done. But And now nobody knows where it is. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, Graham, if the person who has it today doesn't even know what it is. They probably don't. That's true. I mean, it's. I, I can only say it would seem like something wanted us to find that stone, not because it specifically wanted it found by anybody, but because it wanted a group of people who were interested in this stuff to really get excited about it, who would keep going at it and be round the stone. In other words, like you said, we were the ones that were charging it up. Because nothing happened at first when the stone was brought back. We'd followed this exciting quest. We'd found it. We brought it back to the offices where the magazine was. We all got really sort of excited about it. Loads of different people were coming then, people who were having experience with the UFOs, poltergeists, ghosts, you name it, who all obviously had some special kind of psychic ability, if you like, all being drawn together and charging up the stone. And it did all this stuff. That wasn't what it was meant to be doing. That was all side effects of it. And eventually, whatever we did, where Marion had the impression that we had to take it to this place and discharge it, whatever these white balls that exploded in the air was, were released from the stone, that's what it wanted us to do. So whatever the stone was, it contained those white balls that exploded in the sky. Um, what they were, whether they had some kind of... I can only assume that maybe hundreds of years ago, back in ancient Greek times in Nehemiah, if these stones were given a power, then something somewhere wanted it released back to wherever it came from. Yes, it does guess. seem that way. But there are and, other yes. stones out there, clearly. Yeah, they wanted it released back to where it came from, and possibly because if you guys had not found it, that something somebody else might have, and it might have had disastrous consequences. So I think, it that, seems... I think that's probably the case. Yeah, because this thing was because truly remember powerful. I told you, remember I said that when we went to the um, Harvington Hall, only a short while before, had when they were doing renovations, had these um, paintings, these murals, these nine worthy pictures that led us to the sword and then the stone, only... A, couple, a few weeks before had they been uncovered accidentally. So perhaps something decided, hold on a minute, this stone could be found now, now that these, um, you know, these murals are no longer boarded up. They can be found. Right. So we need to get some people to get this thing and release it. I don't know. It's just a thought. I but think it's a good thought. Yes. But, but if you do want to, I mean, maybe you, if anybody wants to meet some of these people that are involved in this, um, for the 40th year celebration, if you like, of the, of, the, of the occurrences which happened in October of 79 in Wolverhampton, where it happened, once only ever event, we're actually going to be doing a Greenstone convention, a one-day series of talks by me and Andy Collins and others who are involved in the talk, we'll all be involved in the Greenstone search, we'll all be together giving a talk in Wolverhampton, and the next day we'll be giving a guided tour of the various locations. Now, I know people in America, it's a lot to get over to England, 
But if anybody wants to know more about this one-off thing, if you go to Andy Collins's website, which is andrewcollins.com, you can go on there and you will be able to see anything about this conference, this two-day event where you'll be able to meet fun. people involved. Oh, that is going so to be fun. It's just once and one only forever. And after that, everyone will go their separate ways. <laughs> well, you know, I just wanted to say to anybody from Hollywood that's listening, you need to contact Graham Phillips and get this movie made because this is one heck of a great, great story. And I really want to see it on the big screen or the little screen. I don't care which screen, but it is a tremendous story. As you mentioned Graham, there's a lot of details in the book that we just couldn't get to tonight because there's so much that went into the story. But clearly there was a major power source behind all of it, uh, pushing all of you guys in your group to find this thing and release all of that powerful energy. It's like nuclear energy, you know, the way you described it, those balls in the air that just exploded Oh, my goodness. This has just been a night to remember with you, Graham. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the story of the Green Stone. Again, the Green Stone is available on Amazon, and you can go to GrahamPhillips.net. You can see videos there about the Green Stone and the people, the actual people that were involved in all of this. It's just tremendous, Graham. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Oh, it, it was, I mean, I'm going to be thinking about this all night. Now I'm going to have to go research the order of Meonia. You know, it's just that there's so much to this. It's just a great, great, great story. So I hope you keep writing because every book is so enjoyable that you write. And it's just another adventure I'm sure is coming your way. So we'll be waiting to hear about it. So next week, everybody, we'll be back with a new show. And until then. We will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! <sniffs> and this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. <sniffs> hmm...
you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.